continue on our series, Changed. We've been talking the last couple of weeks um, about the gospel and how the gospel impacts every area of our life. Now, you don't have note cards today. You're just going to have to go old school. I'm bringing you back old school. You've got to have your Bible. You've got to actually write down your own notes today. Um, but it's okay. I'll give you something to write down, I hope. But today we've, we're talking about a gospel-centered family. And we're talking about how the gospel impacts the family. And if you know anything about the family today, you know that the family is under attack, right? One of the hardest things on the planet is to lead a family, right? Well, for a man, one of the hardest things in his life is to lead a family well. If you watch TV, you see what society says about the family. That the family is a maj page of people that all want to do their own thing. There's no, there's no head of the family when you watch TV shows today. The, the dad has been so beaten down and disrespected. And to me, it all began with Al Bundy. But it, it, since those days, the man has just been degraded to the point where he, he doesn't even know he's the head of the house or he's got this authority that God's given him. And so the family's under attack. It's what the enemy's after. He wants to, de- to destroy the family. Why does he want to destroy the family? Because that's what God established. That's what God established. That's what God designed. But he wants to destroy the family. I believe one of the reasons is because he doesn't want what I've got, Jesus, the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit in me to pass on to my children. You follow me? He wants to stop it and he wants it to stop and not pass on. So what does he do? He comes in, like the Bible says, to steal, kill and destroy. To destroy what? The family. He doesn't want you to raise up some godly kids that know how to pray and make wise decisions. He doesn't want your kids to know that they can walk in the wisdom of God at any age. He doesn't want your kids to know that they can be led by the spirit of God at any age. Right? Because he doesn't want the next generation to walk in the power of God. He don't want them to preach the gospel. He don't want them to live with some character and some integrity. Right? He doesn't want that. So he's coming after the family to destroy that. But here's the deal. The gospel centered family overcomes that. The family that centers itself around the gospel overcomes the arrows of the enemy. The family that centers itself around the gospel. In other words, the family revolves around Jesus. They make decisions with Jesus in mind. They make make decisions with the gospel, with the kingdom with the lost people around them in mind. They don't, don't, they don't just fly off of the hip and do things just because it feels right. And it's flesh-led and not spirit-led. The gospel-centered family pursues Christ in everything. Amen? That's what the gospel is about. That's what we're talking about, the impact of the gospel. The gospel gets in you and it messes you up. And let me tell you something, it's supposed to. If you're the same today as you were when you met Jesus, you may need to go meet him again. Come on, somebody. 
Something is supposed to change inside of me. When I give my life to Jesus, I surrender my rights to my life and I give him the written authority, the written contract for my life. I say, you now have authority over my life. I'm going to submit to you. In other words, I'm giving you the deed to my life. And so what happens? We talked about how in Corinthians, it talks about how you've been given a new life. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. If it's begun, that means it's continuing to go. But it's already started. So you should be different from the day you meet Jesus to now. And you should continue to change. The Bible says that we should become more and more like Christ. Miss Mary will tell you that it doesn't matter what age you are. You should continue to become more and more like Christ until he takes you home. There's no retirement. Retirement is heaven. Amen. I mean, you can get out the race. You can bail out. You can, you you get to heaven. I mean, you're just going to worship Jesus. Hey, praise God. That's good. But as long as you got breath in your lungs and this human body is walking on this planet, you're supposed to become more and more like Christ. You should never stop changing. Right? The world tells you that you need to feed your flesh, that you need to satisfy the desires of your flesh. The world is what the world is really telling you is that you need to go and put yourself into slavery to sin again. And you need to reverse what Jesus did for you because it feels better. You'll be happier. Right? But that's not the truth. Sometimes we forget how miserable we were before we met Jesus. How self-centered and self-sufficient and arrogant and prideful we were. Stuck on ourselves, right? Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. I want to show you something. I'm going to do a little bit of reading. Colossians chapter 3. The, the title of, of, or the heading over this chapter in my Bible says living the new life. And it's what we're talking about. Living this new life that we've been given. Remember, the old is gone. The only one that digs up the old is you and others. God never digs up the old man. Come on, somebody. That's been buried. It's, it's gone, the Bible says. And your new life has begun. So what do we do with this new life? Verse one, it says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking. Come on, somebody got something lurking? (laughs) Within you, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Come on, somebody. 
Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off the old sinful nature and, it, and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Come on, somebody. I feel like I've been a barbaric. I mean, just, I don't know. I just kind of feel. Anyway, I was happy about that. Now I lost my place. Verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Verse 16, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Love you, God bless you. See you next week. I mean, if that if that doesn't come against every lie that the enemy's ever thrown at you, nothing will. Man, he's given us a new life. We've been impacted by the gospel. We're meant to change. We're meant to transform. We're meant to turn into something different. We're meant to start looking different than this world. Come on, somebody. We're meant to act different than this world. We're meant to not respond like they respond. When stuff starts breaking down, we're meant not to freak out. Right? We're meant to stand in faith. And trust God. Will we continue to freak out? Yes, we will. There's three parts of the family I want to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the husband, the wife, and the children because that's what makes up a family. Amen? The husband first. Colossians 3.19 says this. It says that husbands love your wives and never treat them harshly. Come on, ladies, if you got a, an old bitter man as a husband, elbow him and say, you better tighten up. Never treat them harshly. Love your wives and never treat them harshly. You know what's funny is that sometimes we forget who we're messing with as men. <laughs> See, I remind my kids when they back talk or they sass their mom or they, they don't do what she says. I remind them that they're messing with my wife, but they're also messing with God's daughter. You see, you're married to God's daughter. So don't go thinking you can treat her bad and it go unnoticed. Come on. I've known some hard men in my life that treat their wives bad. You know, what's really sad is that I've seen men 
that have treated their wives bad. They've been harsh with their wives their whole life. And then they finally get to a place where they retire and everything kind of gets glorious. And the man actually calms down and becomes the, becomes the husband that she's desired for 40 years. And then one of them dies. And I go, God, I mean, you almost had it. I don't want to be that guy. Are you with me? I mean, I want when it gets to 40 years, I mean, I, I want some flame. Right? Come on, man. I, I want some energy. I mean, I can't wait for the kids to get out the house and get their own kids. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I got plans. We're going to date again. Come on. I'm, I'm still chasing. I mean, it's, you follow what I'm saying? But you're not going to have that if you treat her harshly. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to flip between Ephesians and, uh, and Colossians. Ephesians chapter 5. I encourage you to study that chapter. It's a great chapter. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to, I want to show you what, according to Ephesians chapter 5, what the Bible says the husband is supposed to be doing. And I want to put this whole thing together. And I want to show you what a gospel-centered family actually looks like, according to Scripture. Okay? Because I could give you a bunch of feel-good personal opinions and it it not do you any good. But if I give you the truth, it's going to impact and and, and empower your life. Amen? So Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says that you're men talking to the men. He says the husband, he said, you're the head just like Christ is the head of the church. So wives, look at your husband and say, you're the head. Not that you got a big head, not that you need to cut your head or shave your head. You, you are the head. And let me show you something real quick that's, that I found interesting in this, in this chapter, starting in verse 21. Look at what he says. He says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, look who he goes after first. He goes after the wives first. Watch what he says. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I wonder why he put that before he put husbands, you're the head. I'm going to let that one stew for a minute. He said to love your wives like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He loved it so much that he laid down his own life for it. He gave up his own personal opinion. He gave up his own wills and desires. He gave up his own for the church. The question is, is can you miss opening day of deer season to spend time with your wife? Some of you ain't coming back next Sunday. (laughs) Then he says to give up your life for her. Then it says to cleanse her with your words and God's words. (laughs) So you see, here's the deal. If you can clean her with your words, then it also means you can make her dirty with your words. I got a little news for you. Your wife is who you say she is. What are you speaking over her? Are you breathing life into her? Sometimes breathing life is encouraging. Sometimes breathing life is correcting. My wife will tell you there's times she gets into a temper tantrum or she gets twisted up on something. And I got to come in and say, no, you're not going to think like that. That is not the truth. This is the truth, and this is the direction we're going to go. 
You know what I just did? I just washed all that worry, all that anxiety, all those things off of her. And you know what I did? I husbanded her. In that moment, I was the head of the house, like Christ is the head of the church. Just like Christ gives us clear instructions, you're not going to do this and you're not going to do that. You're going to go this direction. This is how it's going to go. This is how I see you. This is how I love you. This is what you're expected to do. This is who I see you as. So am I to say the same thing to my wife, right? I need to pray scripture over my wife. It's important. She is who I say she is. Love her just as much as you love you. Be joined to her because you have become one. Love your wife as you love yourself. He says that a couple of times. Let me ask you something, men. Do you love yourself? Okay, come on, seriously. I, I love me. Me and me don't have any problems. I love, and there's a whole lot of me to love. I love all of me. I'm the only real man in this church this morning. Nobody else wants to confess anything. But I'm called to love her like I love me. In other words, whatever I'm willing to do for myself, I'm willing to do for herself. Right? Come on. The question is, is are you willing? The Bible goes on to say in Ephesians that your marriage is an illustration of Christ and the church becoming one. It's an illustration, an illustration to who? To everybody around you. Your marriage, get this, your marriage is an illustration. It's illustrating the relationship between God and the church, between Jesus and the church. Come on. So what does that mean? That means that your kids should find Christ in your marriage. They should know that they can have a relationship with Jesus by watching you illustrate that relationship here. Come on, somebody. Right? And then even the world around you, the people at your workplace, the people at the grocery store, even your kinfolk. I know some of your kinfolk. Even your kinfolk are supposed to look at your marriage and see Jesus in your marriage. Does that mean you're perfect? Heck no. That means that they see that they get to see you in your imperfection being perfected by God. Because we're not perfect. We're being perfected. In other words, we're working on it. It's better today than it was yesterday. Right? They should see a change in you at the family reunion. Come on. Last family reunion, you was mad at each other because you couldn't get there on time. So you didn't hold hands. You didn't kiss. You didn't smooch. There was no affection. This family reunion, you need to be all over each other. That's perfectly legal. Grossed my kids out the other day. Just grossed them out. We're in the kitchen. All the kids are in the kitchen. And I went up there and I, I, slipped, I slipped Cheryl the tongue. Right in front of my kids. And they're like, oh, gross, oh. And one of them goes, is that what you call a French kiss? I said, I don't know if it's French or not, but it feels good. And I said, you're going to be sick like this one day too, so don't, don't knock it too hard. Hey, I just want them to know I love their mama. Now, we do have boundaries, as I'm sure you know. But can others see Christ in your marriage? 
listen, man, I know very well how tough it is to lead. Can I be honest with you and say that there's days I don't want to lead? I'll go even further. There's most days I don't want to lead my family. I don't want to be the head. I don't want to, I don't want to be the decision maker. I'm tired of everybody coming to me for decisions. Why I got to make the decision? I mean, see, it's as simple as what are we going to eat for supper? I'm like, why I got to make that decision? There's days I don't want to be. But just because I don't want to be doesn't mean that I'm not. You see, just because it changes in here doesn't mean it changed up there or in here. Just because I don't feel like being the head doesn't mean that I'm not going to be addressed as the head. You see, when Adam was in the garden and Eve was persuaded by the, the serpent, Adam was still the head. Come on. Who did God call for? Get you some of that. Who did he call for? He called for Adam. Whether you feel like it or not, you're the head. And I want you to know something. Even when you don't feel like it, you've been authorized to be it. According to heaven, you are the head of your household. According to God's design, you are the head. There's no other option. There's no other way. Some of you have squawked back and sat back and not made decisions and not been the head, not been the spiritual authority in your family for so long that your wife has had to take on this weight that she's not even designed to carry and is breaking her back because she's trying to now lead a family that she's not created to lead. And then what's funny is when people come around you, they go, golly, man, he married a bitty ball. Look, she's running the show. They say, man, she needs to give that brother his pants back. I go, that brother needs to take his pants back. She's not supposed to be wearing your pants. Come on, somebody. And today, my prayer is that, ladies, if you're leading in some area of your family that you're not supposed to be leading, you sit down. Resign. I'm going to give you a definition in a minute that talks about resigning. You may need to resign today. Yeah, but you don't. And I've had these discussions. But you don't know my husband. He can't make a good decision. I I can't trust him. Oh, my God. Blah, 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 blah. He's still the head. Maybe you need to get out the way and let Jesus deal with him a little bit. Maybe you need to let him fall a little bit and then be there to encourage him to get back up and not slander him for falling. There's a lot of pressure on us today. You got the world saying that you're no good. You're useless. We don't need you anymore. Look at what they've done with the old folks. Kick them to the curb. They're finished like a used car. Send them to the scrapyard. The greatest wisdom in the world is laid up in nursing homes today. The most experience on the planet is laid up in a nursing home and we just kick them to the curb. You know what's happening now is that they're kicking the man to the curb. We don't need you no more. We'll do this our own way. But that's not the truth and that's not God's design and that's not a God-centered or gospel-centered family. A gospel-centered family has a man that is the husband and the father and he runs the show. He's the head of the household. He's not a dictator. 
He's not a giving everybody their marching orders. That's not it. He's leading in a way that they will want to follow. You see, that's when you really got it. Because I, I trust me, I try. I tried to crack Cheryl into shape. Whip her into shape. It just didn't happen. She's tough. She's beautiful, sensitive, soft, but tough. And I tried to be a dictator in her life. And let me tell you something. We banged heads constantly. And one day I was crying out to God. I was like, God, you need to straighten this woman out, Lord. She's bullheaded. Lord, just tune her up or take her to heaven, one or the other. I mean, I'm crying out to God, whining like a baby. And he goes to me and says, well, won't you just try to lead in a way that she'll follow? And I went, you mean it's me? May yeah. Lead in a way that she will follow. And you know what happened? It didn't happen overnight. I didn't come out of that whining session and all of a sudden, bling, she's going to follow. We butted heads again and I failed again. And I had to pick myself back up and learn how to lead again. And I went, okay, that doesn't work. Let's try something different next time. And when next time comes, I try to talk a little softer, lead a little better. And I'm here to tell you today, my wife follows. I'm not a dictator anymore. My wife and I are partners. We're one, the Bible says. You see, the reality is, is that though I have the authority of the head, I've got a helpmate right here. And and God's given me some wisdom that says that I ain't got no wisdom, that I need helpmate. The reason she's called a helpmate because it's God's gentle way of saying you need some help, right? I bring her along with me and we make decisions together. And at the end of the day, those decisions fall on my neck. And we've gone from I don't trust you To baby, whatever God says, I'm with you. You know what that does for you as a man? That puts hair on your chest. It makes you bow up a little bit. But it also scares the bejesus out of you. Because now you got to hear from God. Everybody trusts you now. And you go, oh God, it was better when nobody trusted me. And you can't bring your pants back to her. Come on, ladies. That was a good place to say amen. Go back to Colossians chapter 3 real quick. And I want to talk to the ladies for a minute, the wives. Chapter 3. And listen, if you're not married yet, this is still good stuff. You can go into marriage better than the rest of us did. Colossians 3.18. Look at what he says. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now, ladies, I know that's your favorite word. And I know you're restraining yourself from saying amen and shouting because I said submit. And that's okay. I appreciate the restraint. Let me give you a definition of submit. I think this is going to help you because it's your perspective on submit that determines how you feel about submit. Submit is defined this way. It means to yield, to resign, or surrender to the power, will, or authority of another. It all determines how you see it. 
It's your perspective. How do you see that definition? How does that feel to you right now? It could feel one or two ways. It could feel bad and degrading, or it could feel freeing and lifting. Because when you believe the scriptures that they're God inspired and they say that the man is the head of the household and you're not and that you're called to submit to him. In other words, you're called to resign as the head. You're called to resign as the chief decision maker. You're called to resign, to surrender to what? To his authority. Why? Because his authority is, is, has been given by God and it's, it's held accountable by God. You see, you need to let go. This is an old Christian state. You need to let go and let God deal with your husband. And I know it's hard. But what if we fail? What if, what if he makes a bad decision? What if, what if you get back up and you go again? But this time, instead of throwing it in his face, like a mud pie, you go over there and you help him stand up again. And you say, baby, it's going to be all right. Let's keep going. I know you hear from God. I trust you. Let's go. The Bible says to submit. According to Ephesians 5. And ladies, you're lucky. He doesn't say a whole lot of things to you except submit. (laughs) Who are you submitting to? That's quiet. You okay, ladies? Trying to free you up, trying to lighten your load, trying to get your man to be the head of the house, to carry the weight, to take his responsibility, to be a man of God that God's called him to be. It's all I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to knock you down. Nobody else can be a wife than a wife. I don't make a good wife. I have no nurturing skills. I'm not good with bobos. You follow me? I'm just trying to lighten your load. Look what the Bible says in according to Ephesians 5. It says to submit to your husband just like you would to the Lord. (gasps) You mean I'm supposed to submit to him like I would to Jesus? Yep. That's what the Bible says. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you this morning. I'm going to tell you straight up how it is because if you live according to this, you will live free. The next thing Ephesians says is submit in everything. What was it? Everything? You mean like everything? Yep, like everything. Like everything. Submit. Then it says this. It says you must respect your husband. You mean I got to submit to him and I still got to respect him? Yes, ma'am. You do. Watch this. Submission puts him in his place so he can be what God's called him to be. You see, submission is you stepping aside and he's in the place that God's put him. And you've taken the weight off of yourself. You've taken the responsibility off of yourself and you've placed it on him that he's built to carry. And it's him and God Come on, somebody. It's him. He's now in a place where he can hear from God. You see, because when you submit, you put the old shoots in him. I'll I'll tell you from a man who's let his wife run the house for a little while. It's easy. It's nice. 
It's comfortable when she makes all the decisions. I love it. I don't have to hear from God. I just sit back in the recliner and enjoy life. There's no pressure on me. That's out of order. I'm built to carry the weight. I'm built to carry the load. I'm built to hear from God and have a direction from him for my family. I'm the spiritual leader in my family. In other words, where I go spiritually, my family comes along with me. You're right. But, but sometimes the wife gets so close and she gets so hugged up and she wants to be in charge. And she's so worried about what's going to happen and if he's going to fail. That she's getting in the way. He can't hear from God because all he hears is you. Men, that was a good place to say amen. Not if you want to go home with your wife. You following what I'm saying? Sometimes, ladies, you just need to shut up. And you need to give him some space and quietness to hear from God. Because he needs to hear from God himself. You're not his Holy Spirit. Resign. Surrender. Let him be the man. Let God deal with him and be who God's called you to be, his helpmate, his encourager, his respecter, because he's got a whole world out there that's trying to knock him down. And when he comes home, he don't need to hear what's wrong with him. He needs to hear, baby, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're my man. And when he walks in and you're talking to your friends and you don't know he's there. He needs to accidentally hear you say, well, my husband, when he comes home, girl, let me tell you something. He blesses me. I got a God fearing man. My man prays. He don't need to walk in here. That no good. Sorry, sucker. That make a brother go back to work. So here's a good indicator. If your husband stays at work, (laughs) he may not want to come home. I'm picking. Ladies, let me give you this. This doesn't mean you don't have a voice. Let me tell you something. My wife has a voice. She's got a loud voice. My wife hears from God. There's times that I've walked in the flesh and wanted to go this direction. And she's prayed and she says, baby, I don't have a peace about that. And I've got enough sense to know that, you know what, if she don't have a peace, then I don't have a peace. According to me, we wasn't even going to be in Eunice, Louisiana. We were going to be in Michigan. Thank you very much. I love you. She was praying for me. I was trying to go to Michigan to follow the guy that discipled me, and she prayed against that. She prayed for two years that we would be right here where we are and look at where we're at today. She has a voice. She is a child of God. The Bible says that we are one. It's not always been one. There's days I want to get away. There's days she don't like me. We always love each other. Just sometimes we don't like each other. That's just being real. She's not beat down. She's not this woman that walks around with her head down. You know my wife. She's got pep in her step. She's got joy in her face. And that, that's all the time. That's not just at church. She's not one of them church women that just come up here and put a smile on when she hits the parking lot. She's a clown 24-7. She makes me laugh. She has a voice. She's my help. 
And I need her to be that. She respects me. And you know what that does for me? That makes me want to treat her right. That makes me want to lead better. That makes me want to press in and hear from God and know that I'm going in the right direction. And when she says, baby, I don't have a peace about that. You know what I do? I'll go back to God. God, she ain't got no peace. What's up? Am I hearing wrong or she not hearing right? What's going on? Submission is not a bad thing. Submission is actually order. It puts everybody where they're supposed to be. It, it does something with the chemistry of the family. Right? Because when you watch TV and you listen to music and you see the world outside, what does it do? It, it, it's a mod podge of who's in charge. Nobody knows who's in charge. Most time the kids are running the family. Right? Ain't happening in my house. Your role is important. It's vital. Respect him. And when he falls, help him get back up. Because he will fall. He will fall. And when he does, help him get back up. Dust his little bottom off. Say, baby, it's going to be okay. Go get him a little glass of sweet tea. Just breathe a minute. It's going to be fine. Children. Is the next one. Go to verse 20 in, Ephes- in, in Colossians. You getting something yet? Ladies, do you feel beat down? Do you feel freed up? If you feel beat down, you can say yes and I can keep going. Because I don't want you to leave here today beat down. That was not my intentions. My intentions were to lift you up to a higher place and to help you understand. Men, if you're beat down, we'll talk about it later in the parking lot. Verse 20. Children always, and parents, you ought to circle that, underline it, put some eyebrows on top of it. Always obey your parents. You might need to paint that in their room. For this pleases the Lord. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. It would be nice if they just naturally wanted to always obey us, huh? Isn't that funny? Our first kid, Virginia, I mean, she's like the conformist. I mean, she she just lined up from the get-go, totally messed me up. Because I thought the next two were going to be like that. Wrong. And God actually told me, you need to push her out. In other words, you, you may need to teach her how to make a mistake. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? She, she's just a conformist. Ethan, pushing the boundaries every day. Anna, pushing the boundaries every day. Some of them are easy. Some of them are tough, right? But the Bible's clear on how, how our children should be. The problem is with being young is this. As a child, the problem is that you ain't lived long enough to make any mistakes. You've not lived long enough to realize what you don't know. Isn't that true? I mean, listen, I'm, I'm 40. Just turned 40 not too long ago. I'm really starting to realize now I don't know squat. I mean, I spent my teens, my 20s, most of my 30s thinking I had it all together and the rest of the world need to line up. I'm 40 now and I'm going, dear goodness, all these insecurities come. I don't know if I'm a good person anymore. I can't make a good decision. I just got all this stuff. I'm, I'm going, what, what the heck is this? 
But children haven't lived long enough to make mistakes. And as parents, sometimes you need to let them make a mistake. Let them make a mistake. Let them realize that they don't know nothing. They'll come back to you. Because what happens? We spend all of their lives when they're with us trying to protect them from mistakes, trying to cover them like a little mama or daddy should. And we're, oh, don't go this way. No, don't go do that. And we stress ourselves out because we don't want them to make a mistake. And then what happens? They leave out the house and they go out into life and they start making mistakes. And now they don't know how to handle them. So then what happens? One day, one day, they have a revolutionary moment and the switch goes on and they make a phone call and they say, hey, dad or mom, you know, you were right. I mean, that's the day I'm waiting for. I'm just seriously. I can't. I'm looking forward to the day when Ethan calls me and says, dad, everything you told me was right. I will dance. I don't care where I am. I will dance. But I got to let them make mistakes sometimes. I got to let them fall. I got to teach them how to lean on Jesus and not just on me. Amen. I need to be introducing them to the Father, the power of the Holy Spirit. They need to learn how to pray in tongues. They need to learn how to walk according to the scripture. They need to learn how to walk in the power that God's given them. They need to learn how to walk in the wisdom that God's given them. And stand secure and confident in that. Amen. That's our responsibility is to teach them that, to example that to them, to show them. According to Ephesians 6, look at what it says about children. It says, obey your parents because you belong to God and it's just the right thing to do. Sometimes your kids want to know why they can't go do this or they can't go to you just say, because it's the right thing to do. But I don't understand. Well, you will one day, but it's just the right thing to do. Ephesians says to honor your father and your mother. If you honor them, things will go well for you. God, I wish somebody would have taught me that when I was a kid. Things will go well for you when you honor your father and your mother. You know what happens when your kids get that? When they learn how to honor and obey you and things go well for them? Because that's what happens when they listen and they honor. You do. I mean, do you come out the abundance of your pockets. You, you pull the lint out of your pocket to go buy them something. I mean, you just things go well for them. Right? The reality is, is when they get out and they live a life with Jesus and they're out on their own, if they'll obey and honor God, things will go well for them. Come on. It's hard to be a hoodlum and expect things to go well for you. Amen. I want my kids to know that if I obey and I honor God, things are going to go well. Doesn't mean they're always going to be perfect. Doesn't it and especially doesn't mean that it's always going to go my way. Right. But it's going to go well. It's kind of like that old saying, it'll be well with my soul. I want to teach my kids that. They got to get that. The fact that their parents make decisions for them that they don't like is a good thing. Because God makes decisions for me that I don't like. Right. So there's a secret when children obey and honor their parents. Things go well. And the Bible says this, they will live long on the earth. <laughs> I wish somebody would have told me that when I was a kid. If you listen to your mama, boy, you're going to live long on the earth. 
Come on, I'd have been a better kid. I want to live long. Things will go well. So let me wrap it up with this. When we follow the scriptures and obey them, we illustrate to the world the relationship that they can have with God. Your your gospel-centered family is a portrait to this world. It says to the world that you can have a relationship with God. Can you see that this morning? Can you see how when, when you and your wife or you and your husband, you work things out and you raise your kids and, and with the fear of the Lord and in holiness and you do all these things that the world can look at it and say, hey, what's up with that? Because what I watched on TV don't look like that. Come on, what I read in the news or what I saw in the news don't look like that. What's up with y'all? What y'all got going on? You follow me? Your, your family preaches It preaches every day. It preaches, I need a savior. It preaches, I need forgiveness. It preaches, I need mercy. It preaches, I need grace. Don't bother yourself trying to be perfect. Bother yourself being centered around the gospel. Bother yourself following Christ. And don't be ashamed to let people see your your failures. Don't be ashamed to let them know if your wife's mad at you. One of the privileges I have is that my pastor loves me. Seriously loves me. He loves me enough to call me up some days out of the blue and say, Man of God, how are you and Cheryl? How many people do that for you? How many people actually come up to you and say, hey, how are things going for you? With a deep concern, not just the old walk by and say, hey, you doing all right? Yeah, good, good. Not that. Where somebody actually stops long enough in their life to say to you, hey, how are things going in your marriage? How are things going with your children? And I need that. Because I don't get it right very often I'm a work in progress I'm being perfected I fail constantly I lose it constantly but I don't stay on the ground and I don't stay a loser I get back up and I go to my kids if I've offended them if I've blown it and I apologize and I repent pulled my family together the other day I was just a wreck I blew up on everybody, kicked the chicken, kicked the pig, didn't kick a kid, but I just kicked everything but the kids and the wife. And I was just having a bad day. And I screamed at everybody and I lost control and nobody wanted to play with daddy that day. Nobody wanted to be around daddy. Cheryl looked at me and said, you need to go get with Jesus and get away from us. And she was 100% right. But you know what I did is I went, when I went in the house that night and I took a bath and I showered and everything calmed down and I realized what I'd been, I called a family meeting because that's what the head of a household does. He calls a family meeting. We call it a Jesus meeting or come to Jesus meeting. I says, time for a come to Jesus meeting. Y'all meet me in the living room. Of course, they think they're in trouble. So they're all walking in with their tails tucked between their legs. 
And I get on my knees and I say, you know what? I blew it today. And I'm sorry. Ethan, I screamed at you, man. I lost it on you and I'm sorry. Virginia, I had no patience with you. Anna, I just brushed you off. I didn't even want to listen to what you had to say. And Cheryl, I know you don't like me much. But I just want to tell y'all I'm sorry. And I want to ask your forgiveness. You know what that does for my family? Do you? It gives them an opportunity to forgive me. And it teaches them that even as the head of the household with all this weight and all this responsibility and all this authority, that when I blow it, God's in my life enough to show me that I've blown it. And I can come to them and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I blew it. It teaches my boy that one day when he's a married man and he's got children and he blows it, he can go to his family and he can say, I'm sorry. It teaches my daughters to look for a man like that. Not for some sorry sucker that don't know how to say I'm sorry. It teaches them that I love them and that I care about them. And that you know what? God loves me enough that when I fall, he's going to pick me back up. You see, it's an illustration of the relationship between Jesus and the church. Next to your relationship with Jesus, the most important relationship you have on this planet is your family. It is your family. It's funny because it comes before even your ministry. Because the reality is is that your ministry is your family. And God wants your family to go in a direction. And he's got plans for your family. He's got a purpose for your family. He's got a destination that he wants you to get to. And it's going to be abundant. And it's going to go well. And all hell's going to break loose. But you're going to walk in this peace as a family. Your kids need to know when you're broke. They need to see you stand up in faith and believe God for, for money to pay the bills. We're called to lead men. Wives, you're called to submit and encourage. Let me tell you something. You're the fuel in that man's tank. You're the fuel in his tank. You're the spark to his plug. I'm telling you, you can make that brother pop. My son is so primed up and ready for a wife. All she has to do is say, baby, you look good today. He's ready to go. You know how he's learning that? He's learned that through his mama. She did something funny the other day. She came in, she'd gotten him ready for school, and she she just about ready to kill him. Come on, let's just be real. Some days you just won't kill your kids. And she, so I'm in the house, I'm reading my Bible, praying, and she comes, she dropped the kids off, she comes back in, she opens the door, she goes, you know what? I was like, what? I'm trying something different. I went, oh, Lord. I was like, what are you doing? Well, instead of killing him, I'm going to encourage him. When he makes me mad, I'm going to say, you're a good boy. I love you. You're a good student. (laughs) In my mind, I went, well, let me know how that goes for you. (laughs) I said, okay. So he comes home from school, and all you hear that afternoon is, you're a good boy. I love you. You're a good student. And then it becomes the family joke. You know, so every time Ethan gets on somebody's nerve, you're a good boy. We love you. You're a good student. It's working. 
It's working. God wants you to have a great family. He wants you to have joy in your family. He wants you to, to, to laugh, to cut up, to cry, to scream, to almost get to the point where you wring each other's necks. He wants you to enjoy the fullness of a family. It's a blessing from God. The Bible says that children are a blessing from God. It actually says that they're an arrow in a, in a man's quiver, and he can use them to do mighty things. God wants to use your family to do mighty things. He wants to reach a lost and dying world with your family. Amen? Can you say I needed that? Thank you. It made me feel better. Can you stand up with me this morning? I just want to pray over you. I thank God for this family. This spiritual family. That he's given me. Lord, thank you for the men in this room. Lord, thank you that the task is tough and it's rough and it's heavy. But Lord, thank you that your, your yoke is light. Your burden is light, Lord. You come and you lift the weight off of us men. Lord, you've got a special place for us. You've got a special purpose for us. We get to lead families. We get to lead like you've led us, Lord. Thank you for that, Father. Give us grace. Give us power. Give us mercy, Lord. Give us tenderness and gentleness and kindness and compassion. Lord, because as men, we fight all day and it's hard to come home and flip the switch and be compassionate and to be, to be caring and nurturing, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord. For the women in this room, Lord, that are wives, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would give them the grace to surrender, the grace to resign, the grace to step aside and just really encourage and respect their husbands to be the head of the house. And that whatever decision they make, they follow. Lord, knowing that they've, they've got more power than the man does, Lord, because they get to encourage the head. They get to bless the head. They get to respect him and help him. Thank you for your design, Lord. Help us to raise our kids in a way that honors you. It so honors you, Lord. I pray that our kids become beacons of light in a world of darkness. I pray for wisdom over all of our children, Lord. That they'll walk with an unnatural wisdom. They'll walk with a wisdom that the world can't even understand. And Father, you'll pour your spirit out upon our children. That they'll obey us and they'll honor us because that pleases you, Lord. Teach them that. Thank you for this day, Lord, that you've given us. Thank you for this word. Thank you that our family preaches the gospel. It preaches loud, Lord. 
the darker this world gets, the brighter our families are going to become. Lord, when we fall, help us to get back up and to keep on going. Thank you, Lord. I praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.